Welcome to the Pelvic Health Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Forner, a physiotherapist working in pelvic health, as well as a new student researcher on the fun, long road to a PhD, where we will be looking at pelvic floor problems and exercise. I'm here to bring you information from leading professionals on all aspects surrounding pelvic health for any gender and any age, from the vast range of pelvic floor problems to exercise and sport. Remember our disclaimer, materials and content in this podcast are intended as general information only and should not be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Welcome to the Pelvic Health Podcast, everyone. Today is an extra special episode where I had the pleasure of inviting physiotherapist, chair of the Australian Physiotherapy Association's National Advisory Council, and my friend, Kath Willis to talk about bladder leakage or technically known as urinary incontinence. For those of you new to this podcast, Kath has been on a previous episode talking about breast health. It's an oldie but such a goodie so be sure to scroll back and find it. Not only is Kath a wealth of clinical knowledge in her roles as a pelvic health physiotherapist for Queensland Health and Movement Solution Physiotherapy in Brisbane, she was our previous chair of the APA's Women's, Men's and Pelvic Health National Group, is the new chair of the APA's National National Advisory Council, and teaches the undergraduate gender health subject to physiotherapy students at Australian Catholic University in Brisbane. Today, she breaks down the types and causes for urinary incontinence, what physiotherapists look for as part of assessment, and ways that physiotherapists can help treat this, as well as an understanding about the importance of bladder leak protection products, such as Always Discreet. On that note, I want to say a very big thank you to Always Discreet, as this entire episode has been made possible by their support. As a brand, Always Discreet's purpose is to empower and help females everywhere live life to their fullest potential. Not only have they created a superior lineup of bladder leak protection products, including liners, pads, and underwear, they've helped to educate women around the globe about the importance of seeking medical advice for bladder leakage to ensure women can live more comfortably. But what makes the Always Discreet range so great? It's specifically designed for incredible protection from bladder leaks versus menstruation needs. It features breakthrough technology via a super absorbent core that turns liquid into gel and locks in odors. Its products on the range are surprisingly thin and discreet, helping you feel more comfortable and confident going about your everyday life. So please head to the link in the show notes or head to www.alwaysdiscreet.com.au where you can find more information and complete their quiz to find the right product for you, plus receive a free pack coupon. Now sit back and enjoy the podcast. Who better to talk to about urinary incontinence than you? I'm so excited. So thanks for coming back on the podcast. It's been a little while since you were on. Now you said you've been listening to some old ones. So do you know when the podcast episode was that we did on boobs? And that was seven years ago. Are you serious? Yeah, Sorry, serious. Seven, seven years, years ago? ago. I know. Are you sure? Yeah. Have I been around that long? <laughs> you have been. <laughs> have I known you that long? Yeah. Oh you wow. Have. Oh my gosh. <laughs> We've been friends for a long time. Seven years. Okay. I'm definitely gonna have to go back and listen to that one again. I'm sure, um, I'm sure it was. Now, even though that's a side topic, I'm assuming there's more information on that that we will need an updated one on 
breasts potentially we should do that yeah i think we'll need to do that but today we are focusing on urinary incontinence so i wanted to ask you some questions um especially from a physiotherapy point of view now a lot of people who are listening are health professionals but i also wanted to um, make this easy to understand for anybody listening from the general public. So can you talk about really what in- incontinence is, especially um, if we keep this geared towards urinary incontinence? So what that is and kind of what the different types are, because it's not just leaking when you're coughing. That's right. Yeah. So so incontinence, if you, if you look at a, a formal definition, is the involuntary loss of control of the contents of the bladder so so involuntary loss of urine and probably what most people think is that that would happen when they're laughing or coughing or sneezing or exercising that with that pressure down through the abdomen that that they're going to leak some urine but there's also urinary leakage that can occur when we have an urge to go to the toilet So that can be a completely separate problem. You feel an urge to go to the toilet. It becomes very urgent and desperate very quickly. And as you're trying to get to the toilet, your bladder starts to to leak. So the urine starts to leak out. Um, And some people find that there are certain things that, that really bring that urgency on. So we call those triggers. And a lot of my patients will have a trigger for their bladder for that urinary urgency and urinary incontinence when they arrive home so they arrive home from the shops or they arrive home from work it might be that they haven't emptied their bladder for a while and as they're getting out of the car walking towards the front door they put their key in the lock and they get this sudden overwhelming urge to go to the toilet and then they can leak at the same time Um, and we we think that probably some of that is associated with some behavioural training. So if we think about when we're children and our parents say to us, we're about to leave the house, you need to go to the toilet before we hop in the car. So we think there's some kind of, you know, training or conditioning that goes on that that makes us have some of those triggers and another one that a lot of us find is if we're walking past the cold section in the supermarket the really cold air can give us a a trigger urge to to go to the toilet turning on a tap can do the same thing so so that's that can be part of a condition called an overactive bladder so it's where the bladder tells us we need to go to the toilet with sometimes smaller volumes than normal um, and can, we can have some leakage of urine with that condition as well. So, so that's probably two of the most common. Yeah. Are there any other types other than those two that we would hear about or that people should be concerned about? Well, one of the others can be um, if your um, bladder is holding too much urine, so your bladder actually overfills and you can get a type of um, incontinence called overflow incontinence. So you might have been holding on or deferring for a long period of time or you've got a bladder that holds a much larger volume than than most people's bladder would 
and you can just get some involuntary leakage that occurs. So it's not even associated with an urge to go to the toilet or a cough or a sneeze. It's just that the bladder's reached its capacity. And I say that to my, a lot of my patients. I say, you know, it's a mechanical thing. The bladder's only human. It's eventually going to reach a capacity where the pressure inside is greater than the pressure um, through the urethra, which is the little tube. So urine's going to, to leak out. So that's probably another one that that can occur but people might not be aware of the cause of it do we know the causes for the like is it all just because pelvic floor muscles are weak and that's causing all of these problems no not at all not at all if if it's if it's stress incontinence then then yes if you've got weak pelvic floor muscles for example after pregnancy and childbirth um or, um, you know, after some kind of injury, if there's a problem with the messages getting to the pelvic floor muscles via the nerves, then you, you might be more um, prone to stress urinary incontinence. Or if you've suddenly changed the type of exercise that you do, if you've always been someone who swims and does a lot of yoga and all of a sudden you start doing more high impact exercise like jogging or running, your pelvic floor muscles just might not be conditioned to that type of, of impact. Um, whereas with the overactive bladder, that can sometimes be something that um, that stems from childhood. So um, we think that there's a link between children who have nervous bladders, giggle incontinence, um, bedwetting or enuresis with overactive bladders. So an overactive bladder could be something that um, occurs as a result of having a few urinary tract infections and your bladder, for example, just gets used to holding smaller volumes of urine because you were going to the toilet so much more often with the irritation. So the bladder has a memory for that, for that capacity or volume and then all of a sudden you feel like you need to go to the toilet so much more during the day and sometimes during the night. Um, or sometimes it might be after things like treatment for, for cancer. Um, or it might be that you've had some stress urinary incontinence. So you start going to the toilet more often as a just in case so that you reduce your risk of leaking and then you develop a bladder behaviour which, which turns into overactive bladder. Um, but, but sometimes we just don't know the cause of the problems either. So as a physio, if somebody comes to you with any kind of leaking, what are you looking at? What do you do? Well, first of all, um, I like to try and find out a bit of a history of their symptoms. So they might come in and sit down and say, I just can't control my bladder. I, I leak urine. I need to know when it is that they leak urine. Do they leak urine with exercise or do they leak urine on the way to the toilet? So we go through a list of questions. We try and get a history of their of their issues. How long have they had the problem for? Was there anything in particular that made it worse? For example, having a baby or maybe they had a knee injury and gained 20 kilos and their problem started after that. Or maybe it was when they were studying at university and they started drinking six coffees a day. Maybe their problem started after that as well. So we need to ask them a lot of questions. And we ask some really simple things like, how often do you go to the toilet during the day? How often do you go to the toilet at night? How often does your leakage occur? Um, and what sort of strategies as well do they use to try and control the leakage? Because 
some people will um, just go and change their whole outfit to try and help mask the fact that, that they've got a problem. Um, whereas other people will use special continence pads or liners that can, can help them to manage that as well. Um, so we try and get a history. One of the most important things I try and find out is how much fluid they're drinking. So Laurie, you would have seen this a fair bit as well. Um, I was gonna ask you that. <laughs> people seem to think the more water I drink, the better. It's healthy for me. I'll have better skin and I'll lose weight. And so I <clears> just <throat> need to drink lots and lots of water. Um, but I even had a patient today in the clinic who said to me, I drink two and a half litres of water. Isn't that fantastic? And I don't understand why I've got a bladder problem. It's definitely not due to the water that I drink, though. And I said to her, OK, well, you drink your two and a half litres of water. What else do you drink? So she also drinks four big travel mugs of licorice tea every day. And she also comes home and has um, um, low carb beer at night time. So it turns out that her total fluid intake is actually over five litres. And she drinks two litres in the first half hour of the day. So, you know, that the fluid intake, what we drink, the volume that we drink and the, the timing that we drink that fluid is really important because it impacts on the bladder. I once had a patient, and, and I think more than once, I remember this happening a couple times, where we did a bladder diary. Um, and look, it, for those people who are listening who don't know what a bladder diary is, we usually get you to empty every time you empty your bladder you have to write down what time it was but you have to measure specifically in milliliters how much has come out and rate the sensation so a one could be you could hold for an hour and a three you know you're full and you probably couldn't hold more than 15 minutes this woman's bladder diary in a day and this is just the water she was drinking was five liters and she was leaking wow. yes wow I know, five litres again. And she was like, but I'm really healthy. I'm drinking so much water. And I thought that might be too much. And and that's where you think, is this truly either a stress incontinence or an overactive bladder? Or is it an overflow? Because that poor bladder is just getting stretched again and again like a balloon. The kidneys are going tra crazy trying to process all of that fluid from the bloodstream. So, yeah, you can you can see how fluid intake is so important. So is there yeah, anything so, specifically that you would look at to help with um, whether or not somebody has urgency or stress urinary incontinence? Well, uh, you know, as we've already talked about, definitely getting a good history and having a look at something like a bladder diary. The other thing that can be really helpful is to assess their pelvic floor muscles. And this is often something that members of the public are very surprised that physiotherapists do, that we that we actually will do on females an internal examination, for example, to check the strength of their pelvic floor muscles, how, how much endurance they've got, which means how long they can hold for. Um, and also equally important is whether their pelvic floor muscles are overactive because sometimes with overactive pelvic floor muscles that can influence the bladder as well. So you can have pelvic floor muscles that are too tense but also leak. 
Yes, yes, that's right. So if the pelvic floor muscles are too tense, if, they've, if they're always holding some resting tension, that's going to put some pressure on the nerves and the base of the bladder. And we know that the base of the bladder, there's a, there's a part of the base of the bladder called the trigone that's incredibly sensitive. So we know that if there's tension through those muscles, um, tension on the nerves, that that can, for example, make the bladder overactive. So there can be this crosstalk between the muscles and the bladder, um, but also it can make emptying the bladder more difficult as well. So if those muscles are always switched on, sometimes the bladder can't fully empty. Is there any role of hormones in any of this? Yes. Definitely, definitely. And this is something that I do see in um, women, young girls and women with their menstrual cycle. We definitely know that oestrogen has an effect on um, the collagen fibres in our connective tissue. So the connective tissue might be the pelvic floor muscles, it might be the ligaments that help to support the bladder, it might be the, the fascia that sits in between the bladder and the uterus and the vagina, for example. So at certain times of the month, if when the oestrogen cycle peaks, when our oestrogen levels are higher, the connective tissue, the, the really nice uniform fibres of the collagen tend to get a lot more loose and disorganised. And you often have women who say, wow, everything in my vagina just feels more heavy at that time of month or wow my bladder control is so much worse um, and research has directed um, especially women who are professional athletes so you think of hockey players soccer players afl players cricket players you know this research helps to direct their training so for example are they going to do a whole lot of high impact changing direction type exercise or training on that particular day of the month when their connective tissue is probably lacking um, a lot of a lot of organization and um, and rigidity so especially with regards to sport, if somebody, so someone's leaking, so if we take kind of sport out of it, a lot of the times if people have a lot of leakage, they know that they should see somebody about it because it's affecting their life a lot. But in um, sports, we tend to see, um, or I will hear a lot about women are like, yeah, but it's just a few drops here and there. It only happens when I sneeze. So is that still something to be concerned about? I think anything that's a change in your bladder behaviour is worth looking into. So, you know, if, if you six months ago were able to train and exercise and play your sport with no leakage at all, and now you're finding that you are getting a few drops of leakage, even if it's every second day, that's a, that's a change in your bladder function. It's a, Something has occurred that's caused that difference. So I think it's always worthwhile investigating why that might be happening. What if somebody always leaked a little bit when they were kids, because you mentioned that, and they were laughing, and so they've always just kind of leaked a little bit when they laughed and maybe when they sneezed and there hasn't been a big change, should they still see somebody about it? That's a really good question because the, the physio in me who likes a challenge, who likes to help people with their symptoms would say yes. But really what it comes down to is how much it bothers them. There's a there's a really good questionnaire that we give our patients. Um, and Laurie, you'll be aware of this one, the, the Australian pelvic floor questionnaire that 
that we ask our patients at the end, how much does this problem bother you? And we know that that's linked to their motivation to get help as well. So if they have a little bit of urine leakage when they giggle and it's once or twice a week when they're out with with friends and they're wearing black pants so no one can even really tell anyhow, if they're not motivated to to change that, then maybe attending a physiotherapy appointment is not really going to be that beneficial for them. I think you've got to have the motivation Mm. to want to change that, to want to change that. And I think that's sometimes where physios can't always let go. You know, we, we want our patients to get really, really good. We want to fix them. We want to cure them. But if they, if they get referred to us, for example, by, by their doctor they might turn up and say, oh, yeah, look, it's just not a bother. It doesn't happen that often and it's only a few drops. Are they going to continue coming for physio sessions every week for the next few months? Probably not. Anything that's a significant change in bladder behaviour is definitely worth getting investigated and seeking mm. treatment for. Um, or, or, yeah, anything that's causing you bother. Yeah. So if it doesn't bug them and it's only a little bit do we know if that will worsen over time if they do nothing about it 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 could potentially because there are some there are some big lifestyle type things that can potentially start to make those those symptoms worse so someone might be just sort of cruising along under the threshold for urinary incontinence and then for example at 28 they have their first baby And then, for example, at 33, um, they get a really bad chest infection and they're coughing a lot and it takes three months for the cough to improve. And then even, as I said before, there might be some kind of injury and they gain some weight. So sometimes it's a combination of those factors over a period of time that pushes them over the threshold. And then all of a sudden they do have a problem with their bladder control and they do start to get bothered by it. So, so yes, potentially those symptoms can get worse or they might change jobs. They might go from a very sedentary job to a job that involves a lot of physical activity. Um, They might have a change in diet, for example, that causes a lot of constipation. And we also know that constipation and having to strain on the toilet can impact the bladder and bladder control as well. So if it doesn't bug you and it's a little bit where you're not really motivated to do anything about it, you don't necessarily have to. Although, again, as physios, you're like, oh, but I want to. Please don't just let it go. Let me help you. Um, so what kind of treatments from a physiotherapy perspective are there? The one that I always start off with is education. We have to provide people, I think, with a good explanation of what this condition is, why it might be happening to them, and also what their treatment options are. And I love it when you look at, for example, the documentation that's come from the Australian Commission on Safety and Quality in Healthcare for Urinary Incontinence. You know, you've got choices here. You can wait and watch. You can do nothing and revisit it in 12 months' time to see what the symptoms are like. So you can say that to your patient or you can say to your patient, okay, I would really like to suggest some basic lifestyle changes, for example, quit smoking, Um, include a little bit more good fibre in your diet, which might help with your bowel function. 
start doing some walking on a regular basis to help you lose some weight and let's have a look at that bladder diary again with your fluid intake because possibly you know three cans of pepsi max a day is not doing your bladder any favors so so you know we can look at those lifestyle things that potentially are going to help them with their bladder control with their leakage one thing that's really important though is that if you do get someone who's motivated who wants to be able to lose 10 or 15 kilos that's going to be able that's going to have a big impact on their bladder control that's going to be a really positive thing for them but if they're embarrassed to go and exercise to help them lose weight because of the urine leakage, then sometimes we have to suggest other things, for example, that can help them while they're waiting for something like pelvic floor muscle training for the pelvic floor muscles to strengthen up. Um, so we know as physios that we can use things called pessaries, which can give better support to the urethra and the base of the bladder, which can which can help with with urine leakage during exercise. But the other thing is that um, I'll often recommend um, using some kind of continence product so that women don't feel embarrassed about that leakage while they're trying to get out and exercise. And we know that with continence pads and liners, they're made from a different material, which is specially designed to, to contain urine. Look, I'm not only glad you brought that up because this podcast is sponsored by Always Discreet, um, but it's a really, look, it's an important conversation because again, as physios, our role is usually to not have people use those. And on social media, we see so much backlash about companies but also people saying well you're just telling women to pad up that's not the answer to it um but like you said if they're actually wanting to lose weight and you know that it's going to help there's a period of time where the change needs to happen and they need to not feel embarrassed to go out and start doing the activity knowing that they're probably going to keep leaking until we're able to lose weight and be able to fix them. And that's where, again, the liners, the pads and the underpants can come in. So thanks for bringing that up. I think that one of the big things that we've got to understand about these women out in the community is that one of the barriers for them even seeking treatment is embarrassment. It's mm -hmm. it's shame. So if we can give them a really discreet way of continuing their exercise to help them with their general health, um, then that's an important thing as well. Yeah. What other kind of things can we do? Okay, so the big one, the big one, pelvic floor muscle training or Kegels, depending on which part of the world you're from. So, so this is where our examination of the pelvic floor muscles becomes really, really important. And we've got different methods for assessing the pelvic floor muscles. So we can use um, ultrasound machines. Some physios use ultrasound machines to try and assess the function of the pelvic floor muscles. Um, but probably the, what we call the, the gold standard is to do an internal vaginal examination or pelvic floor muscle examination, which is just gives us so much more information. 
it lets us know, for example, exactly which part of the pelvic floor might have some weakness um, or which part of the pelvic floor might be overactive. It helps us know exactly how strong or weak those pelvic floor muscles are and whether those pelvic floor muscles lack endurance or do they lack coordination to switch on, for example, when we cough or sneeze or, or we're jumping. So that pelvic floor muscle examination is incredibly important. And a lot of women do come to appointments, Laurie, as you're probably aware, feeling very embarrassed, very, very embarrassed about the fact that, that a physiotherapist wants to assess their pelvic floor muscles. So I say to them, I'm a, I'm a pelvic floor physiotherapist five days a week. I assess people's pelvic floor muscles all the time. Um, I want you to feel comfortable with this assessment. It gives us a lot of information about your condition and I don't want you to feel embarrassed because this is just, you know, this is this is just normalizing the experience. Thank you so much for answering all those questions. Is there anything specific that you think people should know about urinary incontinence? I want them to know that while it's a common condition and we know that one in three women in Australia suffers from some form of urinary incontinence, one in three women in Australia suffers from some form of urinary incontinence. So while it's common, it's not normal and there are good treatments available for, for women and people like pelvic health physiotherapists that they, they should be able to access to get that help. Thank you so much for listening. I hope everyone enjoyed that episode as much as I enjoyed catching up with Kath again. She is a wealth of knowledge in this area. Thanks again to Always Discreet. Don't forget to check out the show notes and again, head to www.alwaysdiscreet.com.au and we will talk soon.